0: You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org.
1: Our desire is to honor and share the best parts of the Christian contemplative traditions so that this collective wisdom might serve the flourishing of humanity, all beings, and all of creation. My name is Ben Kesey, and I lead the development team at the Center for Action and Contemplation. I want to thank all of you who are generous donors, giving freely and cheerfully to make this work possible. If you've been impacted by these podcast conversations and are inspired to invest in the future of CAC's mission and work, twice per year, we invite your financial support. To contribute, go to cac.org donate to make a gift. Thank you so much.
2: We do not see everything so we do not know everything. We do not even know how much we do not know, nor do we know how much of what we know is actually impartial, distorted, or false. That is why we seek to open our eyes, to encounter the world afresh, in humility and in silent wonder, to learn to see. In the first season of Learning How to See, Jackie Lewis and Richard Rohr joined me in introducing a baker's dozen of biases that make it hard for us to see what is there. In this season, we want to turn our desire to see into prayer, into something we feel in our bones and bodies, something we desire so deeply that our hearts are stretched and deepen. I was enthusiastic about bringing the program design team of the Center for Action and Contemplation onto this season because I've worked with them for the last couple of years. And I realized they have so much wisdom and so much depth and so much to offer. And in addition, I wanted to talk about translating an understanding of the biases into actual practices. And I know uh, these colleagues uh, actually, live uh, what what we teach about contemplative practice. How would you define bias? How do you understand it? Where do you see it out there causing trouble <laughs> in in our world today
0: the The image that comes to me is the image of a pinhole camera. as human beings, we only have a limited amount of sight and the pinhole camera, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, my, I'm nearsighted, myopic. So when I look through a pinhole camera without my glasses, I can actually see much clearer than I can if I don't have a pinhole camera and I'm not wearing my glasses. But that clarity of sight comes at a huge cost. By having everything centered down to that pinhole, there's a whole lot that I can't see. And if I'm not aware of the fact that I'm only seeing through a pinhole, I can act as if my whole world is what I can see in that pinhole. And I think that's something that is, in some ways, necessary for survival. We have to um, limit the amount of input that we get and just look at what's most important for survival. But that bias also comes at a cost, especially when it comes to relationships, when it comes to um, seeing how we fit into the larger scheme of things. If we believe that all that we see through that little pinhole is all there is, then we miss out on so much of God's creation. We miss out on so much of the kinds of relationships that we can have and also just seeing the fullness, not only of other people, but even the fullness of ourselves because we also see ourselves through that pinhole. There's also a bias that we have to ourselves. So that's my, my beginning working definition, I guess, of bias.
2: In the second season of Learning How to See, we are not just learning about the biases, but we're engaging in some practices to help us
3: uh, actually overcome them more habitually in our lives. There's a, a playground two blocks from my house where often I'll take my kids there about every day. And one day I was there with my kids and they're playing in the playground and I notice a man doing circles around the playground. And I go through like my checklist of like, well, I don't recognize him from the community, from the neighborhood. I've never talked to him before. You know, what's he doing here? I just see him doing these laps. So I go over and I talk to him. I say, hey, are you, are you from the neighborhood? He said, no. I'm like, do you have grandkids here or kids? He said, no. And he said, I come here twice a day. I work near here. And I check to make sure that no one has left needles here because I saw people using drugs here. And I want to make sure that the kids who play here are safe. And it just shattered me because I had all these defenses of who I thought he was as this predator circling around. And here he was flipping that completely on his head and actually being a safeguard, looking out for my kids, even though he didn't even know them, looking out for my neighborhood, even though he wasn't a part of it, looking out for my community, even though he wasn't living with inside of it. And there was so much egg on my face. And then I, flipped into the niceness of the, the complimentary advice of just being like, thank you so much, what a gift you are to humanity for showing up like this for me and my kids, without me even knowing it.
1: In another life, I was a, a pastor for a bit, and I just remember there was a whole season of my life where I really thought my job was to give people answers, and I think we're a culture that prefers good answers over good questions, but I think complexity is the place of questions, right? And I... I You know, my favorite mystic has this thing where he talks about staying in in dialogue as opposed to definition and um, exploring as opposed to explaining. And I think for me, the last few years, it's just been trying to live in search of better questions that can take me into complexity. It's not easy, right? It's not easy. Sometimes it feels like you're building a sandcastle right in the tide, you know, (laughs) But um, yeah, I really appreciate the, the invitation to live in the questions that complexity can bring us to.
2: One of the most common uh, messages we got about the first season is that people wanted more. And so I hope people will sense that they're gaining a deeper understanding of the 13 biases, but I also hope that they will begin to engage in prayer and contemplative practice that actually helps them strengthen their desire for truth and their desire to see.
0: Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness deepen your prayer practice and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world learn more about our resources such as publications podcasts email series and events at www.cac.org